questions to the Prime Minister, Stuart Housey. Number one, Mr Speaker. The Prime Minister. Thank you, uh, thank you Mr Speaker. And Mr Speaker, I uh, join with you in welcoming uh, the United States Ambassador to uh, see our uh, deliberations today in Prime Minister's questions. Mr Speaker, I recently announced at Prime Minister's questions that I would be chairing a serious violence summit. And I can inform the House that this will take place next Monday. The summit will bring together ministers, community leaders, agencies and experts to explore what more we can do as a whole society to tackle the root causes of serious violence, as well as intervening with those most at risk. Following the initial summit, Cabinet Ministers will be hosting a series of roundtable discussions with national leaders and those on the front line. And this will complement the recent announcement of a £100 million violence reduction fund targeted at hotspot areas, along with the £200 million youth endowment fund that is being established this week. Mr Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others. In addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Stuart Hosey. I wish the Prime Minister well with the serious violence discussions he's having. However, Brexit is already costing the UK around a billion pounds a week in lost growth. And we know that 80% plus of the public are unhappy with the way in which this has been handled. This is not the fault of Guy Verhofstadt, Michel Barnier, Donald Tusk or any MP in this House voting according to the conscience. That fault lies with the Prime Minister, who is the architect of the withdrawal deal. So can she finally concede to the House? She is liable, responsible, culpable for the chaos which is the Brexit debacle and when she will be resigning. Uh, Honourable Gentleman, the Brexit deal delivers on the result of the referendum. Now, the Honourable Gentleman has a different view to me. I know he doesn't want to deliver on the result of the referendum. He wants to try and keep the United Kingdom in the European Union. 17.4 million people voted to take us out of the European Union, and that's what we're going to do. Andrew Bridgen. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. North West Leicestershire voted overwhelmingly to leave the European Union, and for the past two years, the Prime Minister has told my constituents on over 100 occasions that we'll be leaving on the 29th of March 2019 with or without a withdrawal agreement. At the last, at the last minute, she begs our EU masters for an extension to Article 50, delaying our departure. Does my right honourable friend realise that the good people of North West Leicestershire, they will forgive her for this? Mr Speaker, they're good people, but they're not stupid people, and they will never trust the Prime Minister again. Can I say to Prime Minister that I hope that the, uh, I hope the message he will take back to his uh, constituents is a, is a very simple one, which is we can indeed guarantee delivering on Brexit. We can guarantee delivering on Brexit if this week he and others in this House support the deal. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. This chaotic and incompetent government has driven our country into chaos. You know the scale of the crisis, Mr. Speaker, when the TUC and the CBI are united in writing to the Prime Minister saying that a plan B must be found to protect workers, the economy, and the Irish border. My question on Monday went unanswered. So will the Prime Minister now say what is her plan B? Yeah. 
Prime Minister! Can I say to the Right Honourable Gentleman, as he knows, we are continuing to work to ensure that we can deliver Brexit for the British people and guarantee that we deliver Brexit for the British people. We have a deal which cancels our EU membership fee, which stops the EU making our laws, which gives us our own immigration policy, ends the common agricultural policy for good, ends the common fisheries policy for good. Other options don't do that. Other options would lead to delay, to uncertainty, and risk never delivering Brexit. Mr Speaker, the only problem with the Prime Minister's answer is that her deal has been twice defeated in this House by, in one, in one case, the largest... The, in one case, Mr Speaker, the largest ever majority by which a government has lost a vote in our recorded parliamentary history. Reports today suggest that a former Conservative Prime Minister is telling Conservative MPs that pursuing a customs union with the EU is the best way of getting Brexit over the line. Does she agree with him and will she be supporting any motions for a customs union this afternoon? Prime Minister! The right honourable gentleman, uh, what we have negotiated, the government's deal negotiated with the European Union, delivers the benefits of a customs union while enabling us to have an independent free trade policy, to negotiate free trade agreements in our interests and not rely on Brussels to negotiate them for him. He used to stand up for independent trade policy, now he wants a customs union, now he wants to throw away the, the idea of an independent trade policy and leave Brussels negotiating for us. We want to negotiate our trade in our interests and the interests of people across this country. Jeremy she knows perfectly well that our policy is for a customs union in order to protect jobs, in order to protect society, and she will also know that the TUC and the CBI have called for a customs union as part of a deal. In fact, the letter wrote to all MPs yesterday saying a deal that delivers a customs union and strong alignment between the UK and the EU rules is the preferred outcome for the business community. So it's a bit strange when a Conservative Prime Minister says she doesn't want what the business community want. These are indeed strange times, Mr Speaker. Can the Prime Minister say why she will not include a customs union in the options that will be discussed today? Prime Minister! Uh, that he doesn't just read the question that he thought of previously, but actually listens to the answer that I gave to his previous question. And I, and I, will, and I, will, and I will repeat it again, because the Right Honourable Gentleman stood on a platform to be able to do in trade deals, to have an independent trade policy, and to deliver Brexit. His policy on customs union breaks the first promise. He's never explained why he wants to abandon an independent trade policy, and his policy on a second referendum breaks his second promise. Whatever happened to straight talking on his politics? Mr Speaker, the Prime Minister doesn't seem to realise that she doesn't have a deal that's been supported by this House. And that our proposals for a customs union do give us alignment on workers' rights, consumer standards and environmental protections, and do not begin with a race to the bottom, which is what she and many on her front bench actually want. Earlier this week, Mr Speaker, the Business Minister resigned from the Government, saying the Government's approach to Brexit was playing roulette with the lives and livelihoods of the vast majority of the people of this country. Why is she prepared to carry on risking jobs and industry in another attempt to yet again run down the clock and try to blackmail the MPs behind her into supporting a deal that's already been twice rejected? 
Prime Minister. I say to the right honourable gentleman, we have been negotiating in order to protect jobs. What he says about a race to the bottom is wrong. As he well knows, we have been working across this House. It is absolutely clear in the political declaration that we uh, agree to not uh, falling back in workers' rights, but also we are a government that has enhanced workers' rights. The UK... Party can never stand it when they are told that Conservatives have stood up for workers. Because that's what the Conservative Party does. We've enhanced workers' rights. We stand up for workers with our tax cuts, with our national living wage, and with higher employment. In a straight question to the Prime Minister, she was unable to guarantee what's called dynamic alignment with European standards, and she knows full well, and she knows full well that the Labour proposals are to use the EU standards as a baseline from which we would improve them, including giving workers full rights at work from day one of their employment and ending zero hours contracts and many other things. In his resignation letter, Mr Speaker, the Business Minister also said to the Prime Minister that he hoped she would now act in the national interest and enable Parliament this week to find a consensus uh, negotiating position. If today or on Monday a consensus alternative plan emerges across the House, will the Prime Minister accept that decision of the House and accept it as the basis for the UK's negotiating position with the EU henceforward? Prime Minister! Gentlemen, the objective that we should all have is being able to guarantee the objective we should all have is being able to deliver Brexit and guarantee delivering Brexit to the British people. And the Right Honourable Gentleman stands there and asks me and raises this issue of workers' rights. We've been very clear about non-regression in relation to workers' rights and environmental standards. He shakes his head, it's in black and white in the political declaration that has been agreed. But we've also been clear. He, he ends his question, he ends his question, and I'm hearing the Shadow Trade Secretary is shouting from a sedentary position about the wishes about listening to Parliament. What we are going to do on workers' rights is say that actually, no, we won't simply accept automatically what the European Union does. We will listen to Parliament and give Parliament a say in that. I thought he wanted Parliament to have a say in these things. Jeremy That sounds awfully like a recipe for regression away from those standards and damaging workers' rights. Mr Speaker, after the two largest defeats ever in parliamentary history, surely the Prime Minister should be listening to Parliament. She didn't answer my question about whether or not an agreement reached in this House would become the negotiating position of the Government. I think the House, and perhaps more importantly, the whole country, deserves to know the answer to that question. Mr Speaker, this country is on hold while the Government is in complete paralysis. The vital issues facing our country, from the devastation of public services to homelessness to knife crime, have been neglected. 
the Prime Minister is failing to deliver Brexit because she can't build a consensus, is unable to compromise and unable to reunite the country. Instead, she's stoking further divisions, she is unable to resolve the central issues facing Britain today, and she is frankly unable to govern. The Prime Minister faces, Mr Speaker, a very clear choice. The one endorsed by the country and many of her own party, Either listen and change course or go. Which is it to be? Yep. Prime Minister! Can I, can I just say the right honourable gentleman raises the question of the indicative votes tonight. I actually answered that question uh, in this House earlier this week. But he might want to talk to his shadow Brexit secretary, who's made clear that actually the Labour Party won't commit to uh, supporting the result of any of the indicative votes tonight. And then he talks about. And then he talks about then he talks about what's happening in this country. Well, let's just look at what is going to be happening in this country next week. <laughs> Nearly a billion pounds extra for the police. 1.4 billion pounds more available for local councils. 1.1 billion pounds extra for our schools. Another fuel duty freeze. Another rise in national living wage. Another tax cut. That's under the Conservatives. What would Labour give us? He wants to scrap Trident. He wants to pull out of NATO. It would give us Labour would give us capital flight, a run on the pound, a dropping living standards. The biggest, the biggest threat to our standing in the world, to our defence, and to our economy is sitting on the Labour front bench. undertake to reform the government's online petition system which currently accepts unverified signatures from across the world. This fundamental flaw can produce an inaccurate reflection of public opinion on important issues such as revoking Article 50 and leaves our democracy potentially under threat from the manipulation from uh, foreign state aggressors. Uh, my honourable friends raised a very important issue, and uh, uh, can I just say that, like the traditional paper petition system, we do need to ensure, uh, do have an e-petition system that aims to strike a balance between allowing people to easily recognise their support, uh, register their support for issues which are important to them, while discouraging dishonesty uh, from taking place. I've been assured that the government digital service have been constantly monitoring signing patterns to check for fraudulent activity, but I'm sure that my honourable friend will understand that I can't comment in more detail about the security measures that are taken, but petitions are subject to checks as part of due diligence. Ian Blackford. Thank you, Mr Speaker, and I'm sure you'll want to join me and welcome the member of the Six Royal Scott Reserves who are joining us in the gallery today and to thank them for their service. Mr Speaker, it is becoming increasingly clear that the cost this Prime Minister will pay to force her disastrous deal through is the price of her departure. Yet again, another Tory Prime Minister is willing to ride off into the sunset and saddle us with a crisis in the UK and an extreme right-wing Brexiteer coming into Downing Street. Does the Prime Minister feel no sense of responsibility for what she is about to do? Prime Minister. Gentlemen, it is my sense of responsibility and duty 
that has meant I have kept working to ensure that we deliver on the result of the British people. Ian Blackford. That's a quick answer. Mr Speaker, let me, um, let me help the Prime Minister. She can still change course. It is not too late. On Saturday, I joined opposition leaders and a million people to demand a second EU referendum. Mr Speaker, six million people have signed a petition online demanding that the Prime Minister rethink her strategy. And today, this House will give her a way out, a chance to prevent disaster. Will the Prime Minister finally respect the will of Parliament or will she continue to allow Scotland and the rest of the United Kingdom to be held hostage by the extreme right wing of the Tory party and the DUP? Prime Minister! I'm interested that the Right Honourable Gentleman joined the march for a second referendum. Last week his policy was revoking Article 50, now his policy is having a second referendum. But let's just look at what the Government is doing. What the Government is doing is delivering on the vote that took place in the 2016 referendum. What the Right Honourable Gentleman wants to do is to stay in the EU. And what would that mean? Yes, yes. All the Scottish nationalists nod their heads and say they want to stay in the EU. What would that mean? That would mean staying in the common agricultural policy, not in the interests of Scottish farmers. And that would mean staying in the common fisheries policy, not in the interests of Scottish fishermen. It's Scottish Conservatives who are standing up for the interests of Scottish farmers. Under my right honourable friend's government, one million more disabled people are in work. But I'm sure that she would like to do so much more. For example, can she get disabled access for Ledbury Station to save disabled passengers an extra 20-minute journey to Hereford and back so that they can simply get out of the train? The access for all programme is too slow and disabled people need to go to and from work too. First of all, can I thank him for highlighting the government's record in getting more disabled people or helping more disabled people get into the workplace. We do want to tackle the injustices that are facing disabled people. And as he says, if we're going to enable disabled people to go as far as their talents will take them, we need to ensure they have access to work uh, and are able to travel to that work as everybody else does, easily and conveniently and confidently. So our Access for All programme has got an additional £300 of funding to upgrade historic station infrastructures. I understand Ledbury Station is being considered for part of that funding, and we expect to make an announcement shortly. Chris Violent crime has risen by 19%. Robberies have risen by 17%. And we've all seen the devastating and tragic impact of the increases on knife crime in our communities. This is the reality of the Prime Minister's reckless kept since 2010, with youth centres closed, police budgets slashed and the the closure of of all early intervention services across the UK. Can I plead and beg with the Prime Minister to understand that we need more real investment before any more lives are lost. I know that South Wales Police are actually getting an increase in their budget in 2019-20 over 
2018. And I would simply say to the Honourable Gentleman that we have uh, protected police uh, funding since 2015, in direct contrast to a Labour Party that suggested that police funding should be cut by 10%. Jack Lepristi! Thank you, Mr Speaker. Now, when I've asked on previous occasions why we cannot stop this ongoing politically motivated witch hunt of our Northern Ireland veterans, the answer has always been that we cannot interfere with the judicial process. But surely the Good Friday Agreement was entirely predicated on interfering with the judicial process, letting convicted terrorists out of prison, royal pardons, providing letters of comfort to terrorists on the run. Now, Mr Speaker, I have a son who serves in the Royal Artillery. Gunner Michael Lepresti, the fourth member of its family generation to do so. Yeah. So can my right honourable friend assure him or reassure him that when he goes on an operational tour, which he's very keen to do so, that if something goes wrong, officers lose control of the situation, terrible mistakes are made, that in 50 years' time he won't be dragged out of bed at six in the morning, taken to a police station, questioned and then charged with murder. Yeah. First of all, can I say to my honourable friend, can I congratulate Gunnar Lepresti and and commend him for his service that he is giving to our country. Uh, We have been clear in looking at the issue of of Northern Ireland and the legacy in Northern Ireland that the current system is not working well for anyone. And on that specific, we recognise around 3,500 people were killed in the Troubles, the vast majority murdered by terrorists. And many of those cases do require further investigation, including the deaths of hundreds of members of the security forces. And that system does need to change to provide better outcomes for victims and survivors of the Troubles. But we are working on proposals across government to take those proposals forward. And of course, we are looking constantly at making sure we can give maximum confidence to those of our brave servicemen and women who day in and day out put their lives on the line for us. Stephen Lloyd. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Prime Minister, we all know that policing has changed significantly over the last 50 years, from cyber fraud and bullying to the recent tragic increases in knife crime. And on the way, the public have lost trust in politicians when it comes to policing. There is a way, though, to restore that trust, Prime Minister. Will you commit to setting up a police royal commission so that facts and evidence, rather than political spin, prepare our police to properly tackle 21st century crime. Well, the, the honourable gentleman is absolutely right that the nature of crime is changing, or we're seeing new types of crime uh, being introduced, and, and the police need to have the uh, ability, the resources, the uh, uh, understanding of, of how to best deal with those. That's why, actually, I would say to the honourable gentleman, we don't, I don't think we need a royal commission to do this. One of the things I did as Home Secretary was to set up the College of Policing. The, one of the points of the College of Policing is to ensure that it is identifying new types of crime, it is identifying how best to deal with all types of crime so that we have the confidence that our police are using the best tools available to them. Anne-Marie Trevelyan. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Uh, Mr Speaker, I have an unlicensed airfield, Eshot, in my constituency, a small business continuing a long history of general aviation on that site ever since the airbase was built during World War II as home for one of the largest Spitfire bases. Mr Speaker, we have a neighbours dispute threatening the safety of the runway, but the CAA are refusing to assist the owners to enforce safety orders. Can the Prime Minister please help us to stop a totally avoidable disaster? 
Oh, can I say to my honourable friend, obviously she's raised a very important issue and safety in aviation is absolutely paramount. I understand my honourable friend has raised this issue directly with the aviation minister who's looking at it as a matter of urgency and looking at it very carefully and we're hoping for a positive response uh, and a positive resolution for all parties involved. The minister will be writing to my honourable friend as soon as possible but I also know that the Civil Aviation Authority has been in contact with all parties involved. She's right to raise this issue and it's an important one and urgent action is being taken. Carol Monaghan. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. The, the condition ME affects approximately 25,000 children yep. in the UK. When the parents of these children make the extremely difficult decision to remove their sick child from a programme of graded exercise therapy, many of these families have child protection proceedings triggered against them. So in the midst of this Brexit chaos, will the Prime Minister commit to looking into this issue to ensure that loving parents caring for extremely sick children are not threatened with having that child taken into care? Can I say to the Honourable Lady, she raised an issue that I wasn't aware of previously and I'd be very happy to look into it and to make sure the responsible ministers look into it. Sir Peter Bottomley. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Following the results of the referendum, the government has the responsibility of negotiating withdrawal, transition and then future negotiations. Up to now, that has not passed Parliament because of three incompatible groups surrounding the government. Those who want to stay in, those who want to be out-out and the Labour Party's vague policy, which even their leader doesn't agree with. Can I say to the Prime Minister that most people in the country want her to succeed and the deal to go through so we get the best possible advantage for future arrangements? I think he is absolutely right. That is the message I consistently get from people across the country, that we actually want to deliver Brexit. There's a way to do that, a way to guaranteeing delivering Brexit, and that's supporting the deal. Jamie Stone. Mr Speaker, my constituents are very pleased that it's been decided that the UK's first space launch facility will be in the north of my constituency. Very pleased because, not least, this gives us a great opportunity to redeploy the very considerable skills which we have at Dunray in Caithness. Does the Prime Minister agree with me that this is a splendid business opportunity, not just for my constituency, not just for the UK, but in terms of launching and building and launching rockets for countries in Europe and the rest of the world who will never have their own launch facilities? Minister. Can I first of all say to the Honourable Gentleman, I'm a little disappointed he didn't give me another invitation to come to his uh, the hotel in his constituency, but uh, there we are. I thought maybe I might be able to look at the spaceport from the hotel uh, windows, but, uh, but he, raises, he raises a very important point, and this is, an, this is a significant development, the development of this, uh, of this spaceport. It will indeed be good for local business. It will indeed be good for local jobs. It's skilled jobs, an important uh, area of employment, but as he says, it will give opportunities for the UK to offer these services to others across Europe who are not able to provide those services for themselves. I think this is good for our economy, it's good for his local economy, it's good for his constituents and the UK as a whole. Kirsten Hare. Those in the armed forces don't get to choose where they are stationed, but those in Scotland are undoubtedly delighted to serve there. Over 7,000 of our armed forces personnel in Scotland are penalised by Nicola yeah. Sturgeon's yeah. 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 Yeah.
Minister commit to extend the uh, compensation that the UK Government paid to armed forces based in Scotland last year for another year? Because, Prime Minister, we need to send a very clear signal that the Scottish Government are prepared to penalise those Shocking. in our yes. armed forces personnel, but it's this Conservative UK Government that will always ensure those that put their life on the line for our country will come first. Can I, can I first of all say that I would like to pay tribute particularly to everyone stationed at RM Condor in my honourable friend's constituency. She is absolutely right about those brave men and women across our armed forces who, who put their lives on the line for us. And she is also right that what has happened with the SNP's tax hike, both this year and next year, is it unfairly hits a majority of our brave and loyal service personnel based, based in Scotland. This leaves... This leaves, thousands, this leaves thousands of them out of pocket, and this is wrong. So we will therefore again be providing financial mitigation payments to those negatively impacted for the tax year 2019-20 uh, by these Scottish income tax hikes, and by that Scottish income tax being higher than the UK, and a single financial mitigation payment will be made retrospectively in 2020. The Scottish Government may ignore our armed forces. We stand by them. Johnson! Mr Speaker, no matter what happens with Brexit, I'm sure we can all agree that we need a new industrial renaissance in the North. And with uh, the Northern Powerhouse and Yorkshire devolution stalling, isn't it about time that we got the same priority and attention for the Humber Docklands as has been given to the London Docklands for the last 40 years? I'm absolutely clear. Uh, when I became Prime Minister, I said we wanted a country that works for everyone. Our modern industrial strategy is exactly aimed at ensuring that we are developing across parts of the, uh, of the country that, uh, that need that and that perhaps feel that they have been left behind. Uh, but she talks about the investment in the Northern, Northern Powerhouse. Northern Powerhouse is not stalling. We have made significant investment into the Northern Powerhouse, significant investment into infrastructure in the North, and significant investment in the deals that we have negotiated across the North to ensure that the benefits of the economic prosperity under this Government are felt across every part of our country. Steve Brine. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. A very large number of my constituents, Prime Minister, voted Remain in 2016. Many voted Leave and some weren't old enough to take part. They all, all have a view. What I think they and their MP overwhelmingly want now is a clear desire to leave the EU with a deal. So we exit the EU in a safe way that protects our economy and their jobs and just lets us move on. In the long term, we want a deep and special relationship with the European Union, while embracing the opportunities of the 168 countries who are not part of it. So just so I'm clear, and just between us, if she likes, before I vote this evening, can the Prime Minister confirm that none of this is contrary to the manifesto that she and I stood on two years ago? Prime Minister! First of all, can I thank my honourable friend for the excellent work he did as a minister? He was an exemplary minister, and uh, I'm sorry that he felt 
necessary to resign from the government. Uh, he's raised the issues of a, long and, a deep and special partnership with the European Union. We do indeed want that. We also, as he say, want to embrace the opportunities of the 168 countries who are not part of it with an independent trade policy. And that is precisely what is delivered by the, uh, the deal which uh, the government has negotiated with the European Union. And we can guarantee what he asks about, which is to uh, leave the European Union, to do it in, with a deal, to do it in a safe way, uh, by ensuring that the deal is supported and we leave the European Union as, uh, as set out by the EU Council on the 22nd of May. Thank you, Mr Speaker. <coughs> Newcastle voted 50.7% to 49.3% to remain. It divided our city and I was determined we should not have to vote again. But this is a complete shambles. Parliament gridlocked, government paralysed, businesses stalled, jobs lost, households stockpiling, our global reputation trashed, and the Prime Minister incapable of holding her cabinet together, never mind the country. Will she not consider the possibility that she is making a terrible mistake? The Honourable Lady wants to ensure that we are able to deliver on the overall vote of the referendum, to do that in a way that protects jobs, that protects our union and protects our security, and to do that in a way that is orderly, that guarantees Brexit for the British people. She said she didn't want a second referendum. If we are going to guarantee Brexit, and I suggest to the Honourable Lady that she gets behind the deal, and then we can guarantee that Brexit. Sir William Cash. Uh, two, two days ago, I asked the Prime Minister if, as absolutely required under the Ministerial Code and the Cabinet Manual, she sought the Attorney General's advice relating to her authorisation of the extension of the exit date, and would she publish this advice? She refused to answer. Distinguished lawyers and former judges are convinced that the so-called international agreement is unlawful. I sent her a letter about this yesterday. The Joint Committee on Statutory Instruments has not yet considered the regulations at all. The motion to approve the regulations come before the House this evening. The European Scrutiny Committee and the Joint Committee will need to see the advice of the Attorney-General before the, 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 the end of today when the motion is going to be received by the House. Will she produce the advice of the Attorney-General? Where is it? And will she withdraw the motion this evening? Prime Minister! Can I say to the, uh, on, my honourable friend, it is a matter of in international law that the date of the UK's exit has been changed. The purpose of the SI this evening is to reflect that change in domestic law. Should the SI not pass, there would be severe uncertainty for citizens and businesses. There would be contradictory provisions between EU rules and UK rules, but it would be clear that the date of our exit had changed. The House of Commons voted to seek an extension to Article 50. Uh, an agreement was reached with the European Union uh, Council in relation to that. He's raised the question of commencement order uh, with me previously. Uh, we, the commencement order is due to come on, uh, uh, into place on the date that we leave the European Union. Now, my honourable friend I know wants to leave the European Union, and we can of course leave the European Union, if I dare suggest to my honourable friend he cares to back the deal and we can guarantee leaving. Yeah. Yeah.
Khan. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. This weekend, The Guardian reported that 15 Tory councillors who were suspended for Islamophobia or racism had been quietly reinstated. The Conservative Party has so far failed to quell fears that they are in denial about Islamophobia. Since I asked the Prime Minister about this in June 2018, there has been no concrete action. Will the Prime Minister instruct her party chairman to respond to the three letters I have sent him on this subject? And when will the Tory party adopt the APPG British Muslims definition of Islamophobia? Has the Labour Party, the Lib Dems, Plaid Cymru, the Mayor of London and councils across the country have done? Prime Minister! that the Conservative Party has a, a, um, a complaints process which deals with complaints of Islamophobia and complaints of any other sort against councillors or uh, other members of the, uh, of the party. Uh, it is absolutely clear that discrimination or abuse of any kind is wrong. We take action against uh, where there are cases of discrimination or, or abuse. He says we haven't acted since, I think, 2018 when he raised this issue. We have acted on cases that any allegations that are brought before the party, the party chairman takes this very seriously and we will continue to do so. That's not true. John Barron. Most of us want a good deal, prefer a good deal to no deal at all. But may I urge the Prime Minister to ignore the dire forecast should we leave on WTO terms? It is these same people who predicted doom and gloom um, in 2016 if we voted to leave. Since then, we've had record low unemployment, record high investment and record manufacturing output. They were wrong then, they're wrong now, and by doing so, we would, could be leaving as per the legal default position of Article 50, which is without a deal. Yeah. Prime Minister! Can I say to my honourable friend, he, he references leaving on WTO uh, terms. Of course, what I want to be able to do, and what I think is right, and what the government considers right for the United Kingdom, is for us to be able to negotiate trade agreements with countries around the world that give us uh, a better, uh, better operation with those countries rather than just the WTO uh, basis, but also to be able to negotiate that good trade deal with the European Union. That's what we want to see, a good trade deal with our nearest trading neighbours and opportunities for good free trade agreements around the rest of the world. Jim Shannon. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I want to ask the, the Prime Minister a very important question as well. With 1,152 people living with dementia in my constituency of Strangford alone, and with the cost of society across the whole of the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland to be £30 billion in the, by the year 2021, what commitment can the Prime Minister do to give to increase dementia research into new avenues of discovery that could potentially lead to a cure or treatment? And would the Prime Minister commit government annually to just 1% of the societal cost of dementia for research? What well, can I say to Mr. the that he has raised a very important issue? He cited the number of his constituents who are living with dementia. That there will be people across all our constituencies and increasing numbers who are living with dementia. And that's why we have committed to delivering our Dementia 2020 challenge in full. And that is supporting research. He specifically referenced research. It's supporting research into uh, dementia. The UK research community is also playing a significant role in the global effort to try to find a cure or a major disease modifying treatment by 2025. 
Um, we've committed to double spending on research in dementia by 2020. That's the equivalent to around £60 million per annum, and we're on track to meet this. And as he has uh, referenced in his question, much of this investment is indeed for research to better understand uh, the nature of dementia, to inform the development of future treatments, and to find ways actually to prevent the onset of the condition. If we can prevent the condition, of course, that is the best route to take. But meanwhile, we look to see what better treatment we can provide for those with this condition. Mike Wood. Mr Speaker, 30 years ago, Margaret Thatcher told the UN General Assembly that global war- the threat from global warming uh, needed a, an equivalent response from the whole world. What progress is being made on reducing uh, greenhouse gas emissions that contribute towards man-made climate change? Prime Minister. Um, I'm very grateful to the Honourable Gentleman for raising this very important issue. What I would also say to the Honourable Gentleman is that he has reminded people actually that it was a Conservative Prime Minister who was one of the first world leaders to actually raise this issue of climate change and put it on the, uh, the international ge- uh, agenda. He's asked me about some of, the, uh, some of the changes that have taken place. Between 2010 and 2017, we've reduced the UK's domestic greenhouse gas emissions by 23%. Um, nearly 50% of UK electricity came from low carbon sources in 2018, and UK CO2 emissions have fallen for six years in a row. That is just a few of the achievements that we have under a record as a government. But of course, we continue to work internationally to help deal with this, uh, this issue, and that's why we believe it is so important to adhere to and remain part of the Paris Climate Change Agreement. Nigel Dobbs. Mr Speaker, I'm sure the Prime Minister will join with me in welcoming the uh, signing yesterday of the Heads of Terms of Agreement on the Belfast City Regional Deal, the first city deal in Northern Ireland, which is estimated to bring about 20,000 new jobs, £350 million of investment uh, by the government and a lot of extra investment by local councils and the private sector. Will she confirm that she will do everything in her power in the absence of devolved government to ensure that the civil service who signed on behalf of Northern Ireland that there will be no impediment to the good progress of that city deal which has been welcomed right across the community in Northern Ireland? Minister. The Right Honourable Gentleman raises a very important point, which is about the benefits that these city deals can bring, and those benefits are considerable, bringing together both government at all levels and the private sector uh, to, uh, to uh, provide in those city deals. I absolutely take the point that he makes that in the absence of devolved government, we need to make sure there is no impediment to moving ahead with that city deal as, as fast as possible, and will commit to ensuring that that does indeed take place. Andrew the Prime Minister knows of the huge improvements to the quality of clinical care brought about by the Getting It Right First Time programme authored by Professor Tim Briggs, who I brought to see her and indeed to see Gordon Brown as well. Given the importance our constituents place on a good, ser- on a good service from their local GP practice, Will the Prime Minister ensure that the general practice rollout of getting it right first time is speeded up so that the excellent practice available in places like Worksop, Whitstable and Peterborough can be made available to all of our constituents? Well, Minister. Well, can I, can I thank my honourable re- friend, not only for his question, but for actually bringing Professor Tim Biggs to see me. And 
when uh, Professor Biggs came to see me, he did raise this issue of spreading this concept of getting it right first and spreading it beyond hospital consultants and into GP practices. My honourable friend is absolutely right. We should make sure that we do that. Uh, we want to make sure that the best practice, absolutely best practice, is adopted by GP practices across the whole country. That's for the benefits of all our constituents. Chris Bryant. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Skin cancer is on the rise in the United Kingdom, and as many members know only too well, it can kill. Though when detected very early or early enough, the NHS is able to perform absolute miracles. Thank God. The um, isn't it time, though, in the UK in particular, that we had a major public health campaign now to persuade people to check out their body to see whether they've got any suspicious moles, to take those suspicious moles to the doctors, to avoid the sun in the midday heat, to cover their children with at least factor 30, and to make sure that we can save lives. Because if we get it right, if people do, if people are in doubt, they should check it out. And if they do, we can save lives. Prime Minister has raised a very important point, and he speaks on this issue from personal experience. And uh, he is absolutely right. We need to ensure that people are aware of the, of the dangers and aware of the signs that they need to take notice of and actually take to their doctors because it, lives can be saved. The Health Secretary has heard the uh, passionate case which the Right Honourable Gentleman has made in relation to public health information on this, and I'm sure my Right Honourable Friend will be happy to meet him to discuss this further. Austin Vickers. Uh, thank you, Mr Speaker. Um, I hope that the American Ambassador is enjoying his visit here today as much as he, he uh, enjoyed his visit to North East Lincolnshire last Friday. Yeah. Um, when I was able to join him, when I was able to join him at Young Seafoods in Grimsby, when we enjoyed some of the finest seafood uh, possible, yeah, yeah, yeah. would the uh, Prime Minister agree with me that Brexit uh, increases the opportunities of further trade uh, to build on the already trading relationship we have uh, with the United yeah, States? Yeah, yeah. We hope the ambassador's palate was satisfied, and I dare say we'll be hearing about it if it wasn't. The Prime Minister. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Mr Speaker. Can I assure my honourable friend, having recently visited uh, North East Lincolnshire, that we all enjoy our visits to North East Lincolnshire and seeing, to seeing the many opportunities that there are there across the economy. But, of course, he's talked about seafood and fishing opportunities. But he's absolutely right, leaving the European Union and making sure, as we do so, we have the ability to have our own independent trade policy means that we will be able to have those uh, free trade agreements around the world, including with the United States. And the United States has, uh, as we've heard on many occasions, we are both keen on both sides of the Atlantic to be able to pursue that, that free trade agreement. Caroline Lucas. Thank you, Mr Speaker. One of the many tragedies associated with this Brexit chaos is the huge distraction it is from other key priorities like the climate catastrophe. Just this week we learned that global climate emissions have hit their highest ever level. And in her answer to the uh, gentleman opposite, she only gave half the story. The other half is that the UK is way off track to meet our long-term climate targets and our consumption emissions are down just 4%. Will she support growing calls for a Green New Deal, a green transformation of our economy, creating hundreds of thousands of good quality jobs in constituencies up and down this country? Prime Minister. To the Honourable Lady, first of all, she is uh, she should, I think, 
do more to welcome the action that this government has taken on this issue. Secondly, she will have noted that clean growth is one of the challenges that we have set in our modern industrial strategy. Uh, for a long time, people used to say that it wasn't possible to deal with climate change and environmental issues without damaging the economy. That is absolutely wrong. Actually, what we do in clean growth is a very good uh, opportunity for us to take economic benefits. And when I visited North East Lincolnshire and went to Ersted, I saw the work that they're doing in offshore wind uh, uh, um, fields, which is making a huge impact in relation to renewable energies, energy in the United Kingdom. And we stand, and I'm pleased that this government, this government is looking to the opportunity of actually hosting COP26 here in the UK. Order.